1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to FOMO, FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGuinness, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and of course, FOMO Sapiens 24-7. And today we're going to talk about a really interesting market and a, I think a very creative solution to making that market work better. We're going to be talking about the surrogacy market with Dr. Brian Levine, who is the founder of Nodal, a surrogacy matching platform that offers transparency, equity, education, and support to both surrogates and intended parents. Now, he has spent the last 10 years at one of New York's most recognized fertility practices, and he's been dealing with the uncomfortable conversations around surrogacy, so he decided to raise around a venture capital and launch a new business that brought together the best minds in the industry, several of whom have been surrogates or parents via surrogacy to build a new platform together. And we're going to get into a lot of things. You're going to learn a lot today. I think one of the things that I think is most interesting is the fact that we're going to talk to Brian about sort of how you build something new in this industry where there's a lot of entrenched players and people who don't want to change. And then how do you convince people the market is big enough? Because I can tell you something, VCs will always say, oh, not big enough. Oh, how do you make this scale? So he had to get over all these naysayers. He had to push past them in order to raise his round of capital. Finally, we're going to talk about the psychology of all this, the matching, right? You have the surrogates, you have the intended parents. I can tell you something, people, when they're making a choice like this, it's very hard to settle on just one thing. There's a lot of phobo, fear of a better option. So how did he design his product to move past phobo? Super interesting stuff for anybody who loves psychology, who loves building new businesses, or is just interested about learning something new. All right, now, since we're just talking about phobo. Go check out my TED talk. It is called How to Make Faster Decisions. It's all about FOBO. I'm telling you something. It is, I'm very proud of it. I worked very hard on it. I think you will enjoy it. So go check it out. And now, on to the interview. As you know, I like to go deep early, get in there with a question that has a little bit of meaning. And so I always start every conversation with the same question. And the question is this. What's a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are Today,
0: at an early stage in my life, I had to profess my love of science, Hmm. and that is probably the most important decision that I've made in my both personal and professional career.
1: Did you did you have like the chemistry set and did you like, you know, you're making potions? Like, what did that look like? I guess.
0: So when I was a kid, I was the guy. First of all, I'm old enough to remember what a VCR is. And I also remember what a tape rewinder is to bring it back to Blockbuster Video, you know, so you didn't get charged a penalty. And I was the guy that used to take the VCR apart and take the tape reminder apart, put it back together and there were still screws left, but it still worked. And I've always kind of been a tinkerer. So I had a chemistry set and I remember I once said to my mom, what happens if you take all the baking soda and put it with all the vinegar? And what do you think will happen to the sink? And she goes, don't do it. So I did it. Um, and it ends up as a great way to clean a sink. And so the, clean, the sink looks beautiful at the end. Um, but I've always had this love of science. And one of the weirdest things that people don't realize is I did the dropout story in reverse. You see, some people drop out of med school to go get a PhD. I dropped out of grad school to go to med school.
1: Wow. I, I mean, okay, so first of all, I do remember a VCR. In fact, my first VCR, just to show you how, how pathetic I was, was, uh, was given to me by, by my grandmother and it had the remote control was attached to the VCR by a cord. Ooh. Okay. I know. I know. I'm proud of that. So that. let's let's get into the science then. So you, you started this new company called Nodal. What is the problem you're trying to solve here? Tell us about the surrogacy market and, and all the things that are happening there that you identified.
0: Yeah. So, you know, what I do on a daily basis as a fertility doctor is I help people start and grow their families. Mm-hmm. And in 2021, Besides recovering from a pandemic, which as a New Yorker, you and I can both agree that that was a process itself of healing and moving forward, something else really weird happened in the reproductive health world. Surrogacy became legal in New York State. And what we saw that was that all of a sudden, after this February 2021 eruption, where surrogacy was now permissible and contractually protected, we saw an influx of patients who were coming to us saying, I would like to use a surrogate or I need to use a surrogate. Or we were saying to patients, we can help you with your surrogacy journey. The problem was that over the next six months, as we started talking to patients, we realized something really weird was going on. I noticed that the cost was much higher than we had ever been hearing before. The length of time to start this journey was taking much more than we'd ever heard before. And we heard a lot of broken promises and fear mongering and a lot of emotional discussions And it actually got to the point in July last year where I was started saying to patients, we're about to have a terrible conversation. And they say, wait a second, what is that terrible conversation? It's surrogacy, I get it. Like, it's not the way I planned for my family to happen, but I'm okay with it. I've come to peace with it. And I said to them, no, no, no. It's terrible because it's going to take a lot of time. You're gonna have to hurry up and then you're gonna have to wait. And oh, by the way, it's super expensive. So today, the company that I started, Nodal, Nodal named because we take lots of nodes of information and integrate them together. Nodal, because that's the one gene that's critical for all mammals to develop, It's the one gene critical for all embryos, and we're in the embryo business. Um, Nodal is there to help people match and start their journeys. If every agency out there says that their bottleneck is being able to match someone efficiently and effectively and review their medical records, then let's just go head on and answer that. Let's attack that bottleneck. And that's what Nodal's doing today.
1: All right, we're going to play a game of VC who doesn't get it. I'm sure you've played this game before. <laughs> so, And we were talking, everybody, before before we chatted that Kate Ryder of Maven is an investor in Nodal and a friend of both of ours here in New York. And when she came on FOMO Sapiens, which if you haven't heard the episode, go back and check it out, talked about the fact that she go talk about women's health care which is her market to the VCs, a group of dudes wearing fleeces, and they'd be like, "Is that a big market?" And she's like, "Well, half the population, plus you know, m- women's reproductive systems are way more complicated than men's." I would. Oh, you're the doctor. I'm just going to say that. I'm probably wrong, but you know, whatever. They're different, but they cost more money. Women's healthcare is more expensive. So, like, do the math. Anyway, so I'm going to do that VC game with you. Say, "Well, Doctor Levine, great," um, but like. Feels like a really small market, very niche. You know, I know that Elizabeth Banks, the actress, used a surrogate, but like how many of them out there are there? So it just feels like a small
0: market. What do Great. you think? So I really appreciate your feedback about saying that it's a small <laughs> market. And we could talk about the TAM if you'd want, and we could talk about the scalability of it. But just before we get started, do you know any gay men that dream of having a kid? Or how about any women who've had cancer? Or how about anyone that can't get pregnant after multiple embryo transfers? And if you know any of those people, just tell them it's a small market and that we just need to keep surrogacy the way that it is today. But that's cool. We can talk about it that way. Okay, that was pretty good.
1: Pretty good. Okay, I'm going to do another one. Now, I'm gonna. my name is Biff now, and I went to the Stanford Graduate School of Business. So I'm going to say, well, you know, my cousin's sister heard about somebody who used a surrogate and she smoked the whole time and they didn't realize it. So like, I just worry
0: about that. Yeah, and you know, in the contract, it also said that she could keep the baby at the end, and then she's going to charge you three times the amount of money. No, I mean, the truth is that people who are becoming surrogates are not the people that you dream up as your worst nightmare. These are mothers by nature. By definition, a surrogate has to be a mother already. These are women who are probably some of the most altruistic heavy lifters out there, people who actually enjoy being a parent, who don't understand how someone could not have the joy of parenthood, I wanna help fill a gap. So the person who says that they know the surrogate who smoked every day, I bet you they were candy cigarettes and I bet you they were teaching their kids some real home American values of like, don't smoke, but I doubt it was cigarettes at all. Unless they're smoking barbecue because we all know the barbecue is delicious. By the way, the candy cigarettes makes me think of VCRs,
1: that's another. Those those are from the same era. Now, okay, so that's I'm going to ask you a real question now that I, uh, Patrick would ask, which I hope you will think is just, you won't be able to bat down quite as quickly. Which is, okay, I get it. A lot of people would have the option, or not many people could consider having the option of going offshore here. And in fact, I can understand. I, I expect the market would do that. Are you? Is that something that you plan as part of your model, or is this a, a domestic, you know, sort of approach? And like, how do you think about that from a cost benefit
0: perspective? So today we view Nodal as a platform for American women to help other American citizens. Mm -hmm. There are a dearth of surrogates today. It is absolutely mind boggling that in this country where we have such amazing access to IVF and reproductive health, surrogacy today is still only about 5,000 journeys a year on an annualized basis. Now I understand the desire to go offshore. Many people have brought this up to me before, In fact, the Ukraine was the capital of surrogacy worldwide. Unfortunately, that is not possible today. And what we learned through the terrible issues that happened in Ukraine was that when those women fled, they fled to many countries where the laws were not the same, and they're not permissible. And surrogacy today is illegal in most of Western Europe. It's not permissible. It's illegal in India. And really, all we see is patients potentially going to South America for surrogacy, But of course, with the CDC warnings about Zika and other infectious diseases, that doesn't really seem like a smart move. So I could understand the desire to go international. But in reality, this is for Americans by Americans. FOMO. Quick math.
1: The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. But only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. That's really helpful and it makes sense. I think it's, you know, if you're if this is something that you dream of and it is your number one priority, having potential X factors, whether legal or regulatory or otherwise, health-wise that could cause a real problem and endanger. There's already inherent risk, of course, we know that. That is just the nature of life. But to add in unknowns that you could mitigate by being in the States makes sense. So that's, I think it's a really, a very fair answer. Now let's talk about how you're building this company because one thing that's kind of interesting as we think about Nodal, I'm just telling you like how I think about it. Number one is that you're building a two-sided marketplace, which is not easy. That's not easy to do. You got to get people to sign up to be surrogates. You got to get people to sign up to use the service. That's the A. And the B is, it is a very white glove kind of thing, right? I mean, this is a big decision. It's a big investment. It is something that, you know, is is people's bodies. It's people's relationships. So, you know, knowing all of those things, like, talk about what you're building and how you're sort of dealing with some of these, like, inherent kind of
0: complicated things you got to think about. So I think you hit the nail on the head, which is... This is a multi-faceted marketplace. And I'd love it if this was just a two-sided marketplace, but this is really a four-sided marketplace. And I view each of them as a customer. The first customer is the surrogate. She is the one that we are advocating for so much. She's the one that we're doing the outreach for. She's the marketing spend. She's the one that we're using ethical, transparent advertising to help educate people about surrogacy, to see if we pique their interest, Instead of using traditional lead gen organizations or infiltrating parental Facebook groups for people who are stressed out and wanna make money from the comfort of their couch, no, we're actually helping reach out to potential surrogates to educate them about the opportunity of becoming a surrogate to help other people. Then of course, we have to build trust in the intended parents. These are an entire population of individuals who often are already broken by the system. They thought that IVF was this great democratizer. You know, the guys from HBS and Wharton who are so happy to democratize IVF with the arbitrage. Well, these are the same people who keep saying IVF fixes everything. But for many people who need a surrogate, IVF didn't fix anything. And instead they view it as wasteful because the embryos that they dreamed about are not the babies that they thought they'd have as an almost slam dunk. So you have to build trust for the intended parents. The third customer that no one talks about is the clinic. The fertility clinics are key players here, right? As the owner-operator of a clinic today in Midtown Manhattan, I can tell you that I have a deep respect for the bonds that need to be had and the relationship that needs to be forged between those who talk to the patients and the patients who talk to the doctors. And so Nodal has a bunch of people where we've either been practitioners or care providers or intended parents or patients ourselves And we understand that dynamic. But also we have to be incredibly transparent and honest and open to the clinics that we are servicing today. And then there's the fourth customer that people don't really understand yet. And that fourth customer is the agency. You see, as I said to you at the offset of this entire conversation, Nodal is attacking one aspect of the surrogacy journey today. If every agency says that their secret sauce, that their widget is making sure that they can address a timely match in a safe and efficient manner, which includes matching people and matching people who've been screened and reviewed, then what we need to do is to address that bottleneck, and we do, but we need somewhere for these matches to go. And we know that agencies have been so successful since surrogacy has been permissible in the United States because agencies offer a bevy of services that people need and want. I think as a business owner and operator, I'd be myopic to think that I could get rid of agencies. And it's not the goal of Nodal. The goal of Nodal is to collaborate and to play nice in the sandbox and to help people have optionality so that, for example, if the high school teacher who's married to a lovely engineer, the two of them only make X amount of dollars, even if they both have fertility benefits, they can now afford to have a family. And they might want to use resources from different places to kind of hack that together to afford it. Or they might just want to go to a traditional agency to say, I want it bubble wrapped. I want it gift wrapped. And so for us, we're always thinking about those four customers together in synchrony and harmony. And what is the, where does the market
1: fail today that allows you to step in? Like, What's not working well that, that opens
0: the opportunity? Google. Not the mm-hmm. company, the search engine. The problem that we have today is that surrogacy is incredibly opaque. It feels distant. It feels rarefied. It feels only fit for a celebrity to do, and they need to report upon it. In reality, there are so many people who dream of starting or growing a family, and this is their only opportunity to do so, either because of their intrinsic biology of who they were born as or because of their biology and what diseases and what other things they've experienced in their life and, you know, maybe cancer or radiation or work exposure or injury or whatever reason they can't be pregnant, they need a surrogate. And the problem is that when you type surrogacy into Google, you find a lot of ad word spent. You find a lot of people who are on the top screen and the top of the scroll. And that's not the way it should be. It is so hard to find a trusted, vetted source of objective information that walks you through a journey that may even just describe the cost that's not on an agency's website. And by the way, in our field of reproductive health, there are so many news stories out there about surrogacy, but they're the sensational ones or the celebrity ones. What about like Jimmy or Jenny or Julie, like normal people who walk around every day who have kids at home that they love? And you don't see those stories out there, so there's a dearth of information that you can get to quickly to understand this really opaque system.
1: I have an idea for you. I'm going to offer this for of you, charge. Although if you use it, we could consider some sort of royalty. You should use the brand, the branding. This nodal. We make circusy boring. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're right. I, like you're so right.
0: It's really funny you said that. So. What a member of my team, Meredith, who oversees our marketing, who's brilliant, said, Nodal is just surrogacy the way it should be. Plain and simple. Um, you know, I always say to patients jokingly, but I'm actually kind of serious. I hope and pray that you are boring in the office and interesting in life. Don't reverse the two. <laughs> okay, that's amazing. Now, I,
1: I, I read an article. I was doing a little research, as as I you know, want to do, and I read this article that said you were the bumble of surrogacy thoughts on is that a fair characterization how would you analyze so
0: i think that's amazing um and what i love about that analogy is that they get what we're doing because you see today in the current model an intended parent will call up an agency and ask for help there's a request help me find a surrogate to start and grow my family and what will happen is that the agency will then present maybe one or two or multiple profiles to the intended parents. But more often than not today, with a very small supply and the very high demand, they'll present one profile to the intended parents. And the parents will say either yay or nay. And the surrogate will basically be told, we found a great match for you. And I know you only wanted someone driving distance from Spokane because that's where you live. But they're in Manhattan and you're going to get a great, trip, a great trip to New York City. In reality, if that's not what the surrogate ever wanted and she's just being assigned a family in New York, she might be scared to say no because they're willing to pay more for compensation. And the intended parents were like, well, we really wanted someone driving distance from New York, but we'll be happy to take someone from Spokane because otherwise we're going to wait six more months. So in that model, it is actually, in my mind, not a democratized math. In our model, we present each gestational carrier three intended parent profiles. And if she doesn't like them, she can have another three profiles presented to her. This is why that on our platform today, for every one surrogate, we have six intended parents there. So we allow for optionality. And then what happens in a very cool way is that we allow the potential surrogate to say who she wants to work with. And then a message is sent to the intended parents. You have been selected to work with a gestational carrier. She would like to meet you. I cannot tell you the power of that message. That message says volumes. It talks about the fact that that surrogate had, or potential surrogate had agency and independence of thought. She chose who she wanted to work with. She values their profile. She values who they are. For those intended parents, they know that there's someone who's willing to do the heavy lifting to help them get to this next state. And to me, as someone who's seen the good and the bad happen as a clinician, I can't imagine a stronger bond being built, then knowing that there's someone who's willing to participate with you, and you know that there's someone who really is so excited to hear from you. And together we think the strength of that match is key. And so that's what we're doing. Just like on Bumble, we let the surrogates make the first move and we support them.
1: FOMO. FOMO. So let's get into the psychology here, because this is very interesting. So one thing about Bumble, I'm glad you said yes to that by the way, because otherwise I would have been yeah, I would have been like scrambling for a new question, but I appreciate that. So one thing about Bumble is, so I you know we talk about FOMO on the show, but we also talk about Fobo or fear of a better option. The idea that number one, people appreciate option value; they see option value as a as a, a sort of a good in and of itself, and that we always have the perception that there's a better potential outcome out there, and therefore, when people go on. Bumble. Obviously, some people get married, so it works. But many people keep, you know, they swipe right, 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 or they keep swiping and swiping and swiping, and they never commit because they're waiting for the perfect riskless option. But of course, we all know that is fictional. But it is hard for people sometimes to make decisions. Now, this is a big decision. You know, this is a decision that requires a lot of thought, and it's 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 a it's a big commitment financially, emotionally. Physically, for you know the woman, obviously, and so I, I wonder: Do you face people on either side, whether it's the surrogate or, or the, the the person who is contracting with the surrogate, who are waiting for the perfect thing, and they, therefore they can't they can't sort of choose? How does that play out? What do you do? Like, what does it look like?
0: So first and foremost, every potential surrogate on the platform is assigned a surrogacy mentor someone who's already been through the experience, someone who's already successfully had a journey. And by letting each surrogate have this unfettered access to this woman who's already done this on a voluntary basis, you know, in the sense of the surrogate mentor, almost I've all of them have said to, to date, anytime you want to reach out, just reach out, right? Like no one's ever said, here's my rules of engagement because they know that it feels weird and uncomfortable. And no one knows who to go to to ask for advice. But what we have found is that by having a surrogacy mentor, potential surrogates are able to articulate what they really want. And on our site, what we do is when we build a profile for a gestational carrier, we actually help them articulate what they want. Driving distance, how many embryos transferred, open or closed uh, match, COVID vaccination or not. And believe it or not, compensation, which everyone thinks is the entire like you know silver bullet to the system, compensation always comes up last with potential surrogates. Because they're not doing it just for the money. They're doing it for other reasons, you know, altruism or helping people or whatnot. But there is this sense of I saw three, I just saw three. Do I have to see three more before I make a decision? And what we know is that the psychology of telling people it's three, then another three, lets people pretty easily not keep swiping. If you also, for the intended parents, tell them that it is $500 a month and a match is worth $6,000. So if it takes you two months to match, you'll still owe $5,000 at the end. And if it takes you five months to match, or six months to match, you'll still owe $3,000 at the end. So if you help match people's expectations it could take you up to a year for a match, you can almost remove, without saying it, you can remove that FOMO because they know that they're in play, right? So it's all about management of expectations. And so we've had this happen where we've had someone say, should I hang out on the platform a little bit longer or should I wait for someone else to come along? And what we say to them is, sure, because who are we to force a match, right? We know on both sides, there's a lot of demand. Since we started, we have had over 4,000 inbound interests for people wanting to be a surrogate in an industry that the HBS guys would tell you has only 5,000 journeys a year. How is that happening? And the reason that's happening is because people just want to learn more and know more. And on the intended parent side, since we opened our platform three weeks ago, we've had over 750 inbound interests for people to become intended parents in a system that's fully only has 5,000 journeys a year. How's that happening? Because people want to learn more. So we know that there's this inbound interest, and the FOMO might be there, and the FOBO might be there. But in the big picture, I think people are going to realize that if you stick to core values and help people make decisions in guided fashion, they can get a really good match.
1: Where do you think this market goes? As I'm thinking about this, first of all, it is fascinating. And the motivations and I think a lot of the the, the psychology and the motivation, just people don't think about it per se. And also the, the sort of use cases, demand cases. I certainly hadn't thought about it. Uh, deeply, uh, as you do, obviously, but as we think about going forward and societal changes, and 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 all the, the sort of just how we're living our lives differently, do you think that your business is going to be more oriented around people who come to you because you know they simply cannot reproduce biologically themselves; they they, they need the help of a sur- surrogate because they can't carry. Or do you think it's also going to be the choice of people who say, listen, I could do that, but given my career or whatever other things I have going on, I would prefer to work with a surrogate. Like, how is that shifting and what what do you think that's going to look like in your business?
0: That's a great question, because I think back to my experiences with egg freezing, right? So egg freezing has only been legally permissible in the United States since 2012. It's a 10-year-old technology. Prior to 10 years ago, it was all experimental right? Literally October 2012, egg freezing became permissible. Now, you know, talk about FOMO again, it's become everyone's like, wait, you didn't freeze your eggs, and you're 32. Wait, you're about to turn 35. You didn't, you know, get yourself the birthday present of freezing your eggs. And it's become the commonplace water cooler conversation or the dinner conversation. And I think that's where surrogacy is going to go, is where people start looking at efficiency modeling. When start looking at, wait a second, this is not the right thing for me to be pregnant, or I can't be pregnant, or I don't want to be pregnant, but there's someone who's willing to help me help my future family. I think it's going to become a much more commonplace conversation. I also think that as employers start to recognize that there's a gaping hole in their fertility benefits, right? Today, the average employer, they might be amazing in helping, you know, people create embryos, but if they don't help those people have a place to put those embryos, There's a gaping hole in the benefit package. And to me, I think those conversations coming from HR departments about how do we deploy surrogacy benefits to people just talking about at work is going to lead to extreme growth of surrogacy in America.
1: Now, Brian, you've just raised $4.7 million in a historically bad VC market. Worst market in 20 years. It's like you go to the VC you know rodeo and there's like tumbleweed blowing through right uh (laughs) and uh it's bad out there it's rough what was your secret like for other folks who are looking to raise money right now and are
0: getting freaked out what would be your advice to them so just be honest you know these vcs want to invest in founders the companies matter the missions matter but just be honest about your potential for what you can do. I think the days of the bombastic claims of we're a billion dollar unicorn, and this is going to happen in 18 months. Um, it's not going to happen, thankfully, anymore. In fact, we've spoken to all the media outlets and the PR firms that we've talked to along the way, saying, please don't ever quote us as the next unicorn of surrogacy. Because I don't mm. think that's a moniker that really is appropriate or should be used for what we're doing today. So as I've talked to angel investors, and majority of our money was raised from angel investors, and to VCs, I've always let them know that they're investing in me, a proven clinician with great clinical success rates and experience, and a team of like-minded individuals who are always willing to do one extra task, one extra step, and we're all unified by a common mission of bringing transparency to surrogacy in America.
1: All right, everybody, if you want to find out more about Nodal, maybe you want to sign up you know, on some side of this equation, you can go to nodal.com. You can also find more about nodal on Instagram, at nodal health. Dr. Brian Levine, founder of Nodal, thanks so much for being here.
0: Thank you so much. FOMO.